have your plan. Know where you're going to go. What are you going to take? What are you going to do? Don't wait until the fire is at your doorstep because it's going to be chaotic. It's going to be crazy. You can't plan at the same time that you're executing the plan. You have to be able to plan ahead. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where for just a few minutes of your day, we provide insights and ideas for keeping safe your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, SVP of Strategic Sales at Alert Media, and I'm joined today by Mark Jackson, who is a meteorologist in charge at the National Weather Service. Mark, thanks so much for joining. How are you today? Oh, thank you, Peter. I'm doing very good. Thanks for having me on. Wonderful. Well, I'm glad you made the time. I know you're busy. And our topic today is going to focus primarily on what we can learn from the 2020 wildfire season. But before we dig into that, could you tell our listeners just a little bit about your background? What is a meteorologist in charge? And what does your team in California do day to day? And I'm the meteorologist in charge for the National Weather Service office uh, for the Los Angeles area, which is actually located in Oxnard, just north of Los Angeles. Uh, I've been a meteorologist in charge here in the area since 2005, uh, so about 15 years or so that I've been out here. And prior to that, I was, I've been in the Weather Service for just over 25 years at various other places throughout the Weather Service. Um, as the meteorologist in charge for the National Weather Service here in this office, we have a staff of, uh, depending on the time of year and whether we have students or volunteers, anywhere from 25 to 27 people within the office. Uh, a core of five lead forecasters and other forecasters. We're responsible for forecast watches and warnings for a four county area around Los Angeles, uh, from actually Los Angeles County northward up to San Luis Obispo County. So what we do is uh, we provide fire agencies, uh, whether it's at the county level, city level, state level, uh, primarily the county level, uh, we have world-class fire agencies at the county level, such as Los Angeles County and Ventura County. We provide them information on ongoing or upcoming uh, weather conditions that could be conducive to uh, large fires, uh, extreme fire behavior, or rapid fire spread. And so what we're doing is, you know, we're looking at, at uh, ingesting all of the data and all the forecast data, looking for possibilities of very low relative humidity, so the dry air, in addition to the very strong winds. So then once we know that, and then on top of the information about the vegetation, how dry the vegetation is, the fuels, then that data is provided to us from the fire agencies where they have boots on the ground and taking fuel samples of the, of the uh, area. Then we can tell them at a certain time period, we're expecting these critical conditions. What happens then is then they're able to take that information and they can prepare for the staffing that's required, for the resources that are required to be able to be responding quickly to any new fire starts. And the ultimate goal is to hopefully uh, prevent small fires from becoming large fires. Well, that's actually a pretty good segue into the first topic I wanted to cover, which is this, what appears to be just a super crazy 2020 wildfire season. Um, I think it's fair to say that most people are aware of wildfires and just how dangerous they can be, but there's only a small percentage of people that have actually experienced one. And we all hear about the fires when they get bad, they become a nationwide story, and 2020 does seem to be worse than usual. But as I've seen with a lot of other disasters, the initial perception doesn't always match reality. 
sometimes we think things are worse when in reality, we're just more hyper aware of the situation. So it seems worse. And that's why I like to check with experts like you. So is the 2020 wildfire season as bad as it seems? Or is it just amplified by the media and really not much different from other years? So looking at the raw numbers uh, in California and the 2020 uh, wildfire season, um, it is by far the worst fire season we've experienced on record in California. Wow. Uh, by the numbers, over 4 million acres burned, okay? Um, by the numbers, over 8,500 uh, fires that have, that have uh, um, been counted up. Now, the interesting thing about that is the 8,500, that number is not unusual by itself. That's roughly an average of the number of fires that we see in California each year. But um, what's, what's become very different and was extremely different this year was the acre or the acres that were burned. When you look at over 4 million acres burned, roughly the size of Connecticut or New Jersey, uh, and you compare that to the second uh, largest wildfire season in California, which is just over a million acres. So four times over uh, what, what used to be the worst fire season in California. So uh, very large fires. We've had multiple complexes, which complexes come about because when you have fires that kind of burn into each other, and you can imagine kind of an amoeba, and then they all kind of grow into one large fire. And so they call that a complex. There's one uh, complex um, that is actually very large, up over, over a million acres by itself um, in Northern California. Uh, so this, is, this has been a very unusual fire season in California. Do you happen to know the numbers off the top of your head, the percentage of that 4 million acres that's covering civilized space versus just wild area? Yeah, I don't. I don't have those numbers. Um, it, one one thing that is um, uh, fortunate in a way from this fire season is the number of fatalities compared to the amount of acres that have burned is relatively low, mm. and and that just can be luck. Um, but we, you know, when you do have a fire that's out in the high country, uh, many times you know it's beneficial to allow that to burn. But um, you know. You could maybe, you know, even one fatality is too much. But yeah. when you when you look at some uh, fires that we've had in, say, lesser severe fire seasons that that kill many people, um, and again, it may be just luck this year. But um, this year, we've compared to the number of acres that have burned, we have uh, we have a relatively fewer number of fatalities that that go with those fires, and that can be one thing to be taken from it. Well, that's interesting because I, I always look at disasters that happen and I wonder what are the lessons that we can take away from it? Are there things that people or organizations would do differently or should do differently if they know in advance that it could be so bad? Well, it's, it's difficult to tell if there's any real solid lessons that you could take from this year. If anything else, um, the lesson is sort of this very staple of emergency preparedness, which is you prepare for the worst and you hope for the best. Mm -hmm. And as you said earlier, you know, many people uh, always, they're going to tend to think that it's not going to happen to me. You know, I've been living in this house for over 50 years and there's never been a fire at my doorstep. Um, and so you let your guard down. And so if nothing else, the lesson here is that, is that especially when you start the season, it's difficult when you start the season to say, well, I bet we're going to have 4 million acres burned this year. I mean, you just, there's too many factors that are at play to be able to predict that. Right. And so... Again, prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And it seems like you need to treat every season or every incident independently. Like I remember back when Katrina happened in New Orleans, 
And then I think it was Rita. Uh, I'm trying to recall my storms happened shortly after and right. everyone tried to flee Houston and it was a disaster. I had relatives trying to drive from Houston to Austin, which is normally like a two and a half hour drive. It took right. them 14 hours. They were, it was a parking lot on I-10 and 45 right. and all those roads. Right. And then the next storm came through and nobody left, but it was disastrous yeah. because people tend to think about the last storm and that drives the behavior the next time instead of just seeing the threat in general and then treating each one independently. Right. Now, one other thing that it does, that there is, there's a tremendous tax on the fire response system when you have that many fires burning with such large fires. You know, in the fire agency, there's a thing called mutual aid. You know, when you, um, we've seen it down in Southern California where we had our big fires like uh, the Wolsey fire a couple of years ago, the Thomas fire. We had fire agencies coming in from Texas, coming in from Washington state. So you get these, these, this mutual aid that goes on. Well, the other thing that may happen is, um, for instance, we'll have fire agencies from Southern California and they'll be dispatched up to Northern California to fight fires up there. But then they have to carefully plan that because if there's a fire danger down here in Southern California, you don't want your resources to be too thin down here to respond to these fires. So it's, you know, we've, we've, we've heard about it. The, the response system is incredibly stressed, has been incredibly stressed uh, this past year. And, and that's another thing to consider when you, t- when you think about your preparedness um, and to know that, that you may not have that fire, that firefighter right on your, right at your step to put that fire out. Um, and it all gets down to evacuation compliance and everything else. So it's maybe one of the things that maybe hasn't been said enough, um, but what the job that has been, uh, the firefighters have faced all year in California. Yeah. Wow. Well, as you look at the horizon, what are your thoughts about the future? Is there a trend that's detectable that's showing there are indeed more fires and when they happen that they're more intense and severe, or is this just a very unusual year and, and we should see a, you know, a drop down later? Well, first of all, as far as the number of fires, as I said, said earlier, you go back and you look for the last uh, two decades, roughly, and there really hasn't been a noticeable trend in the number of fires each year. Mm. But what we're seeing, especially within the last uh, five, six, seven years, is uh, a higher frequency of what's called a mega fire. So when we talk about these fires that like what we uh, had this year, the August complex that I believe is not even uh, completely contained, but the August complex is up over a million acres. And so we're seeing more and more of these very large, massive fires that are hundreds of thousands of acres. Um, when you look at the fire statistics in California for this year, uh, five, four of the top five largest wildfires on record occurred this year. Wow. Um, and, and when you look at um, historically, uh, the Thomas fire, which was a very large fire that occurred through uh, Ventura County up in Santa Barbara County. It resulted in the very deadly Montecito debris flow that occurred on, on January 9th of, of 2018. When that occurred, that was the second largest fire on record in California. So here we are, that was December of 2018. Well, now it's only the fifth largest fire on record in California. So um, we're wow. seeing these ex- very large fires um, we're, um, we're seeing the fire season actually lengthen. So the time period that, that we consider what's called a high fire season, and that's when the vegetation has really started to dry out and cure, that's become longer. And so there is this, there is this trend of larger fires. There's not necessarily a trend of more fires, um, but, and there is a trend of the fire season uh, becoming longer. 
hurricanes or things that we can see coming on radar slowly and we can watch them and prepare for them. But a fire, not so much. It's almost like a, a crystal ball you got to look into. You can have certain weather conditions um, that you can kind of in advance, you can say, well, these winds are so strong, no matter what, there's going to be some utility line or something that's going to happen to uh, cause this fire. Um, but in essence, out, outside of, of a lightning outbreak, which typically you're not going to be able to see that happen until maybe a couple of days in advance. And then even then, you, it's kind of difficult to really anticipate how severe that might be. Uh, so that's the wild card is our fire starts. Now, most new fire starts are human caused, especially mm-hmm. in California, either unintentional or intentional. And anywhere, you know, just over 80 percent of them are, are human starts. Um, and that's the part you can't predict. But what you can predict with fairly good accuracy these days is you can predict um, when you will have the weather conditions that will interact with the fuels and the, and the terrain, which typically in California, the terrain doesn't move, right? So, right. Um, but sometimes it does, unfortunately. But, um, and so, so when you see those things come together, you can at least kind of at least perk your ears up and open your eyes to know that, hey, uh, next week, we're going to have weather conditions that could result in large fires. Well, that's a good point. Like after a fire starts, how quickly do the experts get a sense of how badly it might spread? Is that even something you could predict? Or do you just have to kind of take a wait and see approach and hope that the winds and everything just line up favorably? Well, you know, again, the good thing is, is once we get to that, that time period, say, um, say your weather conditions are ongoing, you've got very strong winds, you've got very low relative humidities, then, um, and the fire agencies are very knowledgeable of the surroundings and very knowledgeable of where their where their more vulnerable spots are around the area, uh, areas that haven't burned for a long time, for instance, uh, it takes, it takes a burn area, roughly 30 to 40 years of recovery to really have the kind of vegetation that would, that would produce another large fire. So it really does take a long time to to grow back, but there's still plenty of area out there to burn. You know, we get some of these uh, fire weather events that can last for several days. So if they get a fire start in an area of very thick fuel that hasn't burned in, in 40 years, they know that they need to get on it very quickly um, or else this is going to be a very large fire. When you say get on it, like, what do you mean? Like, what can they really real- realistically do? And what are their priorities? I know we talked about this earlier. Um, like, what, what do they care about? How do they stack rank their responsibilities? Well, they have several ways for initial attack. Uh, they, have, they have hand crews that they can get down on the ground to try to contain that. Uh, they have um, through the air, they can do water drops. Um, they, can, they can have slurry drops. Um, of course, they can any sort of engine support that they can provide. Um, their goal is to contain the fire. So we, we, we talk about dozers. So they'll take bulldozers and they'll set fire lines around the fire to try to contain that fire. Um, so there are quite a few things they can do where problems exist is where the winds are so strong that uh, water drops aren't as effective. Mm. And the good thing is that there's been, there's been a noticeable increase in the number of large aircraft that can carry thousands of gallons of water and thousands of gallons of fire retardant on these fires. And uh, they're, again, that's something that they want to contain the fire. That's true. They want to get it out, but let's contain it first. And then, so their priorities, especially when they have boots on the ground, their priorities are number one, their own life and safety. 
Number two is, is the life and safety of, of people that are, that are in the way of that fire. Now, um, it's not to say that they won't do anything to try to protect a structure, but if they know that that structure is unoccupied and they have other parts of the fire that then they need, that then they need to put their attention on, um, they may, you know, they may not be able to put the same kind of resources or put the same kind of resources on that structure as they might with another structure that might have more of an impact. Um, but definitely number one priority is their own life and safety. And when you look at the, it's just crazy, the, the, the jobs that these, like these hand crews, um, they're, they're carrying around, you know, 80 pound backpacks of equipment um, with very, very heavy clothing, fire retardant clothing, walking on very steep slopes, many times in extremely warm temperatures. Uh, you know, a lot of times with these fires that we get that where we have temperatures of 90 to 100 degrees. And it's just un unbelievable work that these hand crews uh, can do, but it's very strenuous work. And sometimes they'll just look at an area and do the math and just say, you know what? this is not a battle worth fighting and they just step away and let it burn down to another spot where they know they can control it. Can that happen as well? Oh, that can happen as well for sure. As a matter of fact, in Southern California, we hear them talk about how there's nothing that's, when you look at the Santa Monica mountains that run through Southern California, right up through across the yeah. Pacific and like uh, through Malibu and things like that. Uh, if we get a fire that starts up there in the right conditions and the right fuels, and if the winds are strong enough, uh, they'll say there's nothing that's going to stop this, um, until it gets to the great Pacific fire break and wow. that's the ocean. And, and they, and they know that it's just going to burn down the ocean. What they try to do is contain it laterally. Um, so that, it, so that at least if it does make its way all the way down to the ocean, that it can, that it can actually burn as few acres as possible. Um, but yeah, and, and then of course, structure protection, life protection is a priority as well. And sometimes they know that they're not going to do anything to stop it. That's pretty scary. So <laughs> where can people go if they want another risk of fire in their area? You know, it's interesting because I think if you, if you just look at your surroundings, if you drive around your surroundings and, and if you, in some areas, it's very obvious, you know, there's, there's what's called the wildland urban interface, um, kind of a goofy acronym uh, that's it's a WUI. So wildland <laughs> urban interface is that's, is that area where you, uh, you're basically in the hills and in the trees. And you can have very beautiful homes up in those areas, um, surrounded by trees and beautiful views and everything like that. Uh, but that can also be a very vulnerable area to wildfires. And so, um, you know, in some areas, in some cases, it might not be so obvious. You might think, well, I'm pretty safe here. I'm about five miles away from that hillside that, that I think can burn. So I'm in pretty good shape. But you also have to remember that if you start envisioning possibilities and scenarios that there's there are certain situations if you get a fire in the right type of fuel bed with the right type of winds that embers can blow from you know four to five miles mm. large embers and how long do you have to worry about this how long does fire season last well typically say in southern california our fire season goes from uh, roughly uh, june through november and and our peak, our peak fire season in Southern California is October and November. And historically, we have more fires in October than any other month. And when you get up into Central and Northern California, it, it tends to run a little bit earlier. So it tends to peak more so in July and August, that time frame. But, but what we've seen here recently is that there may not e be, even be any recognizable start or end to the fire season. 
And a good example is 2018 or 2017, we had the Thomas Fire. Mm-hmm. So Thomas Fire, very large fire of Ventura County up in Santa Barbara County. That started in December. And it was not fully contained, actually, until uh, the winter storm that moved through that ended up producing the Montecito debris flow. That fire was not fully contained until the second week in January. So, again, it, it depends from year to year. Um, but on, on average, we're seeing that that season, that fire season, which what we do is that we determine it based on kind of the fuel conditions, you know, the uh, we get our winter rains and the fuels, they, they soak up all that, all that moisture. And what happens is the best green up is typically in March and April. Yep. And then, and then the rains go away, you know, downtown Los Angeles averages, you know, about a 10th of an inch uh, in June or less. Okay. Wow. It just doesn't rain in Southern California in summer. So things dry out and you can imagine kind of a curve of fuel dryness and then they bottom out typically in September or October. So right now, we're dry. Um, we're, we're ready to burn here. And not until we get our first rains, which depending on how it all turns out, you know, typically if your first rains come in December, uh, that's when you'll finally start to get a little bit of relief in that fuel moisture and you'll, some of the fire threat will hopefully start to go away. That's crazy how long it lasts. Um, well, look, in our remaining time that we have, let's jump in and talk about wildfire preparedness. And as you think about our audience, when you answer this, and it's really comprised of individuals that are responsible for the safety of their people and their organizations. So what can they and their organizations do to just better prepare before wildfire season even begins? Right. It's planning. It's all about planning. It all comes down to planning because you don't want to wait until the, the fire is at your step to try to figure out what you're going to do. Um, it can be chaotic. It could be crazy. Um, it's all about planning. So really, when you look at organizations and even as individuals within an organization, again, knowing your surroundings, knowing what your vulnerability is to fires is one of the most important things. Second of all, you know, have a plan. Uh, Well, there's certain things that you can even do. And again, whether this applies to uh, a business or whether this applies to people in their individual homes, there's certain things you can do to to help harden your, your structure and to make it more fire uh, safe in a way, Um, whether it's um, defensible space, um, whether it's, you know, simple things, you know, making sure you don't have piles of needles around your property or in your eaves and things like that. And then, you know, having that response plan in place, you know, what is your, like for your business, what is your uh, office evacuation plan made up? You know, what, what documents will you take with you? Mm. Um, how do you maintain, how do you continue operations? You know, how do you maintain that type of operations offsite? Uh, but one of the most important things, what documents do you need to take with you? Um, should there be evacuations, for instance, many times when there's evacuations, you won't be able to get back in uh, for quite a long time. So, have to know what to take with you. What's really the most important thing, you know, um, even in the National Weather Service, you know, we have an office evacuation plan with our with our office uh, should we need to execute it. And that includes, you know, grabbing our important hard disks and files and things like that and sort of papers that we know we can't replace to take with us. And of course, the people. Right. So, that's another thing when you talk about evacuations, have a plan to know that how do you know everybody's out of the building? You know, what's what's that evacuation plan to know that everybody is safe? Um, and um, and then, you know, when you look at, um, well, where would people go? How would you continue to operate if you can't get into that and can't actually get into your business? 
um, that's an important part as well. And I've heard a little bit about the wildfire ready, set, go campaign. Could you tell us more about that and how that could help? That's a, that's a really important campaign and it's well accepted, well standardized uh, from the county level up to the state level. Ready, set, go, just like it implies. Uh, when you look at each one of the stages, the ready stage is that's happening all year round. Okay. So, you know, you're building your defensible space and it might change, it might vary from county to county, but when you, when you look at it, there are certain things you can make sure that are cleared around your structure between um, between your structure and 30 feet out. And then you go 30 to 70 feet out and then another 100 feet out. Now, in some cases, that may not be possible, but in some, in other cases, it is. And so try to make sure that you've got uh, vegetation, you know, very little vegetation, any flammable, you know, ornamental vegetation. Make sure that that's as sparse as possible. If you know that you live in a high threat area. And this has been proven, say, for instance, the campfire up in Paradise. There were examples of, in this very, this very bad wildfire up in Northern California in 2018, there were examples of people that have built defensible space and their structure survived. Mm. So it is, a proven, it is a proven way to fire safe your house. Harden your home, you know, make sure, you know, in terms of, of, of as I said earlier, cleaning any piles of needles and leaves and debris and trash out and things like that. So that's kind of the ready stage. And then the set stage, that's when you're, you're building your, your plan. What's your emergency supply kit? What's, what things will you take with you if you have to evacuate? And you talk about the, the six P's, okay? So you have to talk about people and pets and prescriptions and papers, you know, photos, you know, things that you know, uh, even plastics like credit cards, oh, yeah. th- things that you know you can't replace, um, you know, have those, have those identified and know what you would take. You know, you don't have to throw them in your car, but at least know what you're going to take. Um, make sure that, that uh, again, you're still hardening your home and, and, and ready and having it protected from fire. And then have your evacuation plan. So on a perfectly clear day, there's no threat of fire. Stop and think, where would I go if I had to evacuate? Mm. What's my best evacuation route? And Unfortunately, there's some areas up in this wildland urban interface that have very windy roads. There's only one way out. And what typically can happen is that you'll get, you'll get fire engines that are trying to go up the road and people that are trying to go out the road. So that's why it's very important to evacuate early and don't wait till it's too late. So that's the set stage. Now, I mentioned earlier what we do for fire weather and, and for assistance with fire agencies. From a public standpoint, what we also do, we issue what are called red flag warnings and fire weather watches. And typically we can issue those anywhere from one to two days before we, for instance, are expecting the very strong winds. So there's no fires, there's no strong winds, no low relative humidity or dry air, but we're seeing in the forecasts anywhere from a day to two to even three days out that we could have a situation where we could have, we will likely have very strong winds. And if there's any new fire starts, we could have very rapid fire spread and very extreme fire behavior. So if you hear that uh, there's a red flag warning out for your area, look at that set stage of ready, set, go. Double check your evacuation plan. Double check your emergency kit, uh, your evacuation bag. Double check everything. And you could even go so far as to pack your car with your evacuation things. So again, there's no fires that you know of, but then... Once you get to the point where the fires start and wildfires threaten, and if you smell smoke, 
um, or you see it on the news, now's the time to go. Don't wait to be told to leave. There are instances, of course, where, where local officials will issue evacuation orders. You may even get a knock on your door, but that's when it's critical to don't waste any time and go right away. If you've, yeah. done your, if you've gone through your ready, set, go, that, that's it. You've taken care of that set stage. Now it's just a matter of going. It seems like the go part is oftentimes the hardest because human nature is this isn't happening to me. I'm going to be okay. And it's hard for people to leave. And I guess maybe a good phrase to use is when in doubt, just get the heck out. <laughs> right. Um, Don't sit around. Right. And, and when you can stop to consider that, you know, you can replace belongings, you can replace your home. Uh, it's not easy, of course, to lose a home. Um, and it's, of course, not easy to evacuate. I've never had to evacuate for any reason. I can't imagine what it would be like. Um, but you can't replace yourself. That's right. And you can't replace your pets. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Get out. Well, I want to close by just asking one more question. We really love to give our audience something they can take away with them and then immediately go make an impact on their organization. So as you think about it, what's something the audience can take action on maybe today to help them improve their wildfire readiness? Well, it's the buzzword in emergency preparedness, but situational awareness. And be aware of your situation. Be aware of your surroundings. Uh, know what's around you. Know what could possibly happen. You know, let, let your mind go crazy and think about those possibilities because you want to be able to imagine the worst case scenario. And going back to that ready, set, go, you know, have your plan. Have your plan. Know where you're going to go. What are you going to take? What are you going to do? Don't wait until the fire is at your doorstep because it's going to be chaotic. It's going to be crazy. You can't plan at the same time that you're executing the plan. You have to be able to plan ahead and and you have to be ready and you have to be set. And when it's time to go, uh, you need to go. Yeah. If you don't plan, then you're just like a deer in the headlights when something happens and then you don't take action and then you lose that time and time is of the essence in an emergency. So that makes total sense. Right. All right. Well, fantastic. Mark, this has been, I think, a great conversation. I don't know a lot about wildfires, or at least I didn't before we started this. So thank you for everything. Your perspective is fantastic. And if anyone has any follow-up questions or just wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you out there? Well, you can either, even through your program or, you know, my, my email, uh, my email, it's a public email. It's just mark.jackson at NOAA, N-O-A-A dot G-O-V, G is in government, O-V. And, and I'd be happy to answer any questions. Okay, wonderful. Well, thanks again for taking time to uh, join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And to the rest of you out there, remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. 
Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.